Well, good morning and welcome again to Cross Point Church. Our mission as a church is that we are on the move to redeem people and families and neighborhoods with the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's our mission. That's what we're supposed to be doing. And uh, I've, I've seen God moving us, moving us out week after week. I see him uh, giving us opportunities to to redeem people, to serve people, to love people, to to display the gospel. And that makes me very excited. And that's something that we want to continue to do more and more of. As we approach Easter, our big launch Sunday, as Pastor Phil mentioned, um, that's the Sunday that we are, we're really aiming at right now. And that's where all the momentum is headed right now. And on Easter Sunday, I'm kind of glad that you're all kind of spread out like this. Because hopefully a lot of these seats will be filled in and, and you'll be mixed in with a lot of guests. And uh, that's something we're very excited about. And we've been in a series over the last bunch of weeks called Life on the Move. Life on the Move. And we've been looking at the Gospel of John and the account of Jesus' life, his account of Jesus' life. And what we've seen in every single chapter of John throughout the whole Gospel is, is Jesus Christ, the Son of God, God in the flesh, the God-man, introducing people to the life of God, inviting people into the life of God, showing God or showing people everywhere he went what God is like. And through everything Jesus said and did, people were changed by what, by what he said and did. People were changed. There are things rolling down the aisle to the front of this floor. For, I don't know. So, that, no problem. No problem. I didn't, just didn't expect that. Uh, <laughs> you know, if I was a kid, that's what I'd be doing. I would be like, you know, bowling things down to the front. Um, Jesus said and did things that changed the way people related to God. It completely changed the way people related to God forever. That's what he did. That's what life in the move is, on the move is about. And that's what, God is, that's what God wants to do through us. He wants to use us to change the way that other people relate to God. He wants us to be his life carriers to other people. That's what this series is about. So I, I'd like to, and, and by the way, this is all about faith. It says everything to do with your faith. That's where it starts. And I want to ask you this morning, how important is your faith to you? How important is your faith to you? Is your faith really important to you? Or is your faith just a category of your life? You know, you've got your, your job is in this category, your education, your relationships, your marriage, your family, and then your faith. Your faith is just another category. Or is your faith the most important thing to you? Now, you'll, you'll agree with me that if something is really important to you, you, you will spend a lot of time on it. You'll spend a lot of time working on it. You'll spend a lot of time investing in it. You'll spend a lot of time maintaining it and making it stronger and better. That's what we do with something that is really important to us. If something is precious to us, we guard it. We, we invest in it. We add to it. We strengthen it. We, we do everything we can to make it stronger and better. And the same thing is true of our faith, isn't it? If your faith is important to you, you'll spend a lot of time working on it. And there are a lot of ways that you can do that. There's a lot of things you can do on your own to grow your faith. You can read your Bible. You can pray. You can come to church and you can hear God's word preached and proclaimed. You can link arms with other Christians other, and, and build relationships with other people who share your faith, who, who can invest in your faith. 
people who have strong faith, people who don't have strong faith. You can build relationships with other people who share your beliefs about, about God and about Jesus Christ. You can spend a lot of time praying and listening to God and obeying God. That, those things will grow your faith. Those are things you can do that will grow your faith. And those are all great ways to grow your faith. But there are certain things that will grow your faith way faster than those. And, and will make your faith stronger than all of those things I just mentioned to you. And, there are, and those are the things that only God can do. Only God, in fact, the writer of Hebrews says that Jesus is the, uh, he is the founder and the finisher of our faith. Jesus is. He's the one who, who, who gave you faith, and he's the one who will finish your faith. He's the one who will build your faith. And what is, what is Jesus' preferred way of doing that? What is Jesus' uh, strongest, fastest, biggest way that he grows people's faith? Do you know what it is? It's suffering. It's pain and disappointment. I mean, it may not be the answer you wanted to hear. But that's what we're told uh, over and over again. That's what we're going to see this morning as we look at uh, John chapter 11. Now, have you ever gone through something really, really hard in your life? Have you ever lost something so precious to you that it made you angry with God or, or disappointed with God or confused by God? Did that... Trial or loss, shake your faith. Because some of you have experienced tremendous pain and loss that you weren't prepared for. I know you have. Some of you have, you know, you've lost a job. Or you lost your savings. You lost your security. You lost your reputation, maybe. You lost your health. Some of you have lost a church. You've lost a marriage. Or you've been close to losing a marriage. You've lost a child. You can't go through something that hard and that painful without being changed. And some, a trial like that, a difficulty, is going to change you in one of two ways. It's either going to shrink your faith or it's going to grow your faith. There's really no in-between because your faith is a living thing. It's alive. And it can be attacked, it can be damaged, it can be wounded, and it also, it also can be bolstered and strengthened and thriving. Your faith is alive. So how important is it to you? So we're going to look at a passage in John chapter 11 today. If you, wanna, if you have your Bible, you can go ahead and turn there. And this is, a, this is a passage, it's an account that all of you, I bet, I bet even the kids in here have heard this story before. Most everyone in here has heard this story before. And if you haven't, um, that's good. I'm glad you haven't because I want you to hear it with fresh ears. This is a story, some of you might think, you know, I, I know what happens in this story. I know how it ends. Why should I care about this story? Why should I care about Jesus raising someone from the dead 2,000 years ago? Some, some guy. Why should I care about him doing that? And this is actually a glimpse for us. It's a glimpse ahead to Easter. This, this passage serves us that way. And so it's good to ask the question, why should I care that Jesus raised some guy from the dead 2,000 years ago? And I hope by the end of the, the message today, you'll know why. You should, because you should care. This, this passage we're going to read today says something about your faith today. It says something about the way you should be living today in this week 
It's very relevant for us right now. So we're going to start in John chapter 11, verse 1. Please follow along with me. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. We'll read about that in chapter 12. So the sisters sent to him, Jesus, saying, Lord, who, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Isn't that a strange verse? Does that strike you as odd? Jesus loved them so much that he didn't go to them when, when their brother was dying. We're going to talk about that in a minute. Um, here, here's what's happening here. Jesus is, he's always, we've been talking that Jesus is always traveling. He's always, he's always journeying. He's always moving around to people all over the first century world. In particular, um, Galilee, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and all, all around those regions there. He was he was traveling all the time and working and serving people, giving himself away to people. And he was very tired very, very often because he was a human. He was fully human. And so this was a place, this, this town, Bethany, where, where this family lived, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, these siblings, this was a home to him. He loved these people. My wife has a sign hanging up in our house, a little sign that says, what I love most about home is who I share it with. And these, this family, these three people, are home to Jesus. This is a place where Jesus knew he could go and, and show up at a moment's notice or without any notice, and he would find a refuge there. He would be able to put his feet up here. This is a family that he loved. We're told several times in this chapter how much Jesus loved this family. This was not an ordinary love. This was a very special love. The only other time uh, this kind of love is brought up from, between Jesus and someone else is in reference to Peter, James, and John, his three closest disciples. And so we know that there's a special place in Jesus' heart for this particular family. This, these particular siblings. And the message that they send to Jesus, that Mary and Martha sent to Jesus, is so simple and so raw. All it says is, Lord, he, he whom you love is ill. Think about what it doesn't say. It, they, don't, they don't use Lazarus' name. They don't even tell Jesus to come. They just say, the one you love is ill. There was, there was no need to say anything else. And that tells us how close Jesus was to this family. Surely Jesus will hear this message and he'll come quickly. He'll rush, he'll rush to the aid of this family because he loves us. He'll come right away. We just need to tell him that, that our brother's ill and we know he'll come right away. But he doesn't. He doesn't come right away. Isn't that strange? Instead, Jesus says, this illness is for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified in it. And he loves him so much that he stays two more days while Lazarus is dying. And he knows he's dying. So the first thing I want to point out today, and there's a, there's a little outline in your, in your bulletin there, that there's, there's three little points there. And the first one says that your pain and your crisis have a purpose. 
And it's really important that you know that. Your crisis and your pain are for God's glory. And I think that one of the strangest verses you'll read in the Bible, and there's a lot of strange verses in the Bible. One of them is, this, is verse 5 and 6. It says, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and, the, and Lazarus so much that he stays two more days. How is that loving them? He doesn't rush back to help. I mean, they're in desperate need. Lazarus is in desperate need of healing or he's going to die. But we're told that Jesus loves them so much that he lets him die. How is that loving them? How is that loving them? I mean, if someone you love is, is dying and there's something you could do to stop it and you don't do it, how is that loving them? So Lazarus, he dies, and then Jesus doesn't even seem to make a big deal of it. If you look down in verse 14, it's that Jesus is talking about to his disciples. They don't want to go back to where Lazarus is because it's dangerous. The authorities are after Jesus. And this is what Jesus, he says, Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I am glad that I was not there so that you may believe. Can you believe that? That Jesus just said that? He said, Lazarus has died, and I'm glad. I'm glad that he died. Why? For your sake. So that you may believe. He lets Lazarus die for the sake of this group, this small group of men. That's what we know so far. So we have, now we have two reasons for Lazarus' death and his illness. First, it's for God's glory. Then it's for the disciples' sake. He wants them to believe more than they've ever believed. He, wants, he lets this family suffer a horrible tragedy to teach his disciples a lesson. Does that seem right? I mean, it's almost like Jesus is setting this whole thing up. Jesus is willing to set this whole thing up and let the hearts of the people he loves and his own heart be shattered by a tragedy in order to strengthen the faith of the small group of people. Is that really worth it? Jesus would say, yes, it is worth it. Your faith is worth it. Have you considered that God may use tragedy to strengthen your faith, to strengthen the faith of your small group, to strengthen the faith of, of the people around you who don't know Christ yet? He may use tragedy in your life. Have you considered that? Would, you, would God do that to you? I mean, Jesus is willing to stop other people from dying who he didn't even know. Remember, the, there was the Roman centurion back in John chapter 5, and his son was ill, and Jesus just said a word. Didn't even, never even met this kid. He just said a word, and the kid was healed. And yet, when it comes to the, this family that he dearly and deeply loves, he's willing to let them lose something that's very precious to them, the life of their brother. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't want to have to grow that way. I really don't. <laughs> if I'm being honest with you, I don't want that kind of glory. I would much prefer the kind of glory that comes from winning, not losing. I want the Russell Wilson kind of glory, the, the quarterback for the Super Bowl champion Seattle Seahawks. That's the kind of glory I want. Hey, Russell, how satisfying is it to win the Super Bowl? Oh, it's... I just want to praise God and give God all the glory. 
I'll take that kind of glory, you know, where someone's putting a mic in your face after some big win, some big success. I'll, I'll take the kind of glory that comes from uh, winning the respect and the admiration of other people. I'll, I, that's recognition, success. That's the kind of glory I would like to give to God. You know, I'll, I'll take the kind of glory that, that comes from my children being successful. Someone coming up to me and saying, wow, she is so smart, or he is so good at that. Oh, give glory to God. That's the kind of glory that I want. It's the kind of glory that comes from winning. So what I'd like to say to God is, (laughs) Jesus, if you could just please let me grow my faith through success and through everything going according to my plan, that would be great. I'll take that. Please give me a big faith through big wins in my life. Right? And I believe that if Jesus were right here standing with with me up here on the stage, he would say something like, Dave, if you really want to grow a big faith, then suffering is the way. That's the way. That's my way. It's It's through dying, really. That's what he says. So your crisis, whatever it is, I know that some of you are going through crisis right now. I know that, I know you are. Some of you are going through terrible uh, hardship. It has a purpose. It always has a purpose. We're going to begin reading again down, down in verse 17. And the second point in your outline says that pain and death move God. And that's what happens here. Beginning in verse 17. Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to, had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ, the son of God who is coming into the world. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Does that sound familiar? When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? Now we're going to stop right there. Now I'm sure you noticed that these two sisters who are very different, the other gospel writers also confirm these two sisters are very different. And and if, if you guys, if any of you have two girls in the same home, you know what that's like. They're so different. And, And Mary and Martha are just like that. They both say the same thing to Jesus. 
They both say, Lord, if you have been here, this wouldn't have happened. But Jesus' response to them is different. So, but this thing that they say to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, this wouldn't have happened. This is something we've all said to God at some point. Where were you, Lord? Where were you when my life was falling apart? Where were you when my marriage was falling apart? Where were you when I lost my job? Where were you when my loved one died? Where were you when my parents got divorced? Where were you when I was becoming an addict? Where were you when my child was making poor choices? Where were you when they went off the deep end? There's so many times we wonder, where is God? Well, this is happening. We know he can stop it from happening. Why isn't he stopping this? Why is he letting this get so, go this far? And Jesus' Jesus' response to the sisters is different. To Martha, he gives the truth. And to Mary, he gives tears. To Martha, he says, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he dies, he will live. Whoever believes in me, even though they die, they will be raised again with a body to enjoy my presence and my glory forever. And while they live now, the rest of their life on earth, they will be filled with hope. That's what he's saying. They will live a quality of life that goes way beyond your health, your wealth, and all of those other things. It's a quality of life that's lived from the inside out. Because of who Jesus is. He's, he's the, that's the resurrected life. That's real life. It springs out from within. That's what he's saying. But to Mary, he doesn't say anything like that. He just says, where have you laid him? And then he breaks down. And he weeps. Because that's what Mary needed. Mary didn't need the truth. She needed tears. So he gives each sister what they need in that moment. And I don't know what you, how you feel about death, but Jesus believed that death is bad. Just so you know. There are, there are a lot of people in the world today who think death is not that big of a deal. It's just like a gateway. A, a, it's, a, it's just a phase in your existence. It's just a gateway to life. But Jesus didn't look at death that way. Jesus stops to mourn death with these people. No, think about what Jesus doesn't say. Jesus didn't say, hey guys, what's the problem here? Lazarus is with God now. He's in a better place. He's doing better than you. You should be happy for him. Get over it. Jesus doesn't say that at all. He mourns. He mourns with these people. He does not minimize death. Because death is a curse. Death is an abs- That's all it is. It's a curse for sin. It's God's, it's God's curse on sin that we have to suffer with. But we were not created to die. We were created to live. That's what we're created for, life. But our sin has separated us from God because he's holy. And our sin has separated us so, the distance between us and God is so great that the only way to close the distance was for God to come to earth, become a man, and die. That is the only way that death can be overcome. And our sin could be paid for. That's the gospel. 
So death is a big deal. It should make you angry and sad. Death should make you angry and sad. It made Jesus angry and sad. In fact, the phrase that's used here, deeply moved, deeply troubled, means moved to anger. That's a really soft translation when it just says greatly moved. And all the commentators don't understand why this. It's such a soft translation there. But it it literally means snorting with indignation. It's almost like an animal that's overcome with primordial rage, snorting like a bucking bronco, angry, wanting to shake something off. And that's exactly how Jesus is pictured here in in front of Lazarus' tomb. D.A. Carson says here that Jesus is outraged in spirit. And he suggests this translation, shaking with rage, he approached the tomb. So Jesus is not just sad. He is very mad. And he's not mad at himself. It's not like Jesus is, is, is beating himself up here, like, oh, I should have come sooner. That's not what's happening here. Jesus has no regrets here. He knows exactly what he's doing. He's angry at death. He is angry at sin. And how sin has ravaged and how death has ravaged and will ravage each and every one of us. He's thinking about us as he's approaching the tomb. Jesus is. So when you ask the question, God, where were you? Where were you when my life was falling apart? Do you know what God says? I was there. I was right there. I was weeping with you. I was angry with you. And I am going to make this right because I am the resurrection and the life. And one day it's all going to be undone. One day the the, the death and the curse and sin, it's all going to be crushed under Jesus' feet. And that's our hope, isn't it? That's That's what the resurrection is all about. There are some people who think that God is apathetic to us. But nothing could be further from the truth. We worship a God who is moved by pain and death. Now we're going to read um, a last few set of verses here. In verse, beginning in verse 38. It says, Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, Take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believed you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and had seen what he did, believed in him. So Jesus, he does what nobody expected. They're not sure why he wants the stone removed. The King James Bible says that when Jesus asked to have the stone removed, Martha said, Lord, by this time he stinketh. 
That's my favorite translation as well. He, w- he was dead four days. Four days he was dead. His body was already decaying. He was long gone, but Jesus, the resurrection and the life, speaks a word. Lazarus come out and he brings the dead to life. He takes this horrible tragedy, this untimely death, all the pain and suffering and anxiety this family had been through, and he reverses it. He redeems them and the people around them. He redeems their pain. And here's the, here's the kicker, okay? According to Jesus... It was all necessary. That this tragedy was necessary for their faith to grow. It was necessary for unbelievers to believe. So how important is your faith to you? Are you satisfied with your faith? Are you, are you fine? What is God willing to do to grow your faith? Is he willing to take away something good, to let you lose something precious so that you and the people around you will believe? Is God willing to do that? Is, this, is your faith that important to him? C.S. Lewis in The Problem of Pain says this, God whispers to us in our pleasures. He speaks in our conscience, but shouts in our pains. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. So here's what it comes down to. A crisis is an opportunity for God to show up in a big way in your life. That's what it is. That's what the crisis is there for. That's what your, your pain and your suffering is there for. You, you have, it's a way for God to use you, okay? Many of you have friends who you are praying for, friends who don't know God yet and they're not, they haven't, they're not trusting God yet and you've been praying for them and you've been talking to them and you've been serving them and you're just waiting for the day where God will redeem them. And I want to tell you that your words mean a lot and that God wants us to do those things. He wants us to invest in our friends and he wants us to love our neighbors and he wants us to be on the move and to serve them and to tell them about the good news of Jesus. But when a crisis enters your life, how you respond to that crisis will speak louder than any words you say to those people. They will watch you. Unless you completely close them off to it. That's an option you have as well. I don't think it's a good option. But when you go through a crisis and your faith is tested, your words are weighed. Your words start to mean something. Then, you know, I would like to see a microphone put in front of Russell Wilson when, when, he, when his career isn't going so well and see if he gives glory to God then. That's when people listen. That's when people will listen to you. That's, that's what the crisis is for. It's for God's glory. It's not for you. It's not for you to, to pity yourself and to, to feel bad about yourself and for you to, you know, to, to struggle. I mean, yeah, it's going to be a struggle, but that's not what the outcome is about. You and I have been given something precious, the gift of life through faith in Jesus Christ. The light of Jesus Christ, we're told, lives and abides within us. And I'm telling you, that light shines brightest when you are in a dark time in your life. 
And I know it's not convenient. It's never convenient for you to lose a job. We, we, want, we want God to grow our faith in ways that are convenient for us. It's not convenient for you to lose your job. It's not convenient for you to lose uh, your, your financial security. It's not convenient for you to lose your marriage. It's not convenient for you to lose a child or have a child be in the hospital for long periods of time. And to go through, through lengthy times of uncertainty and unrest in, in your life. But those are the times where God's glory is revealed. Aren't they? And so, and so here's what I'm going to ask you to do. And this is, this is what it comes down to. If you remember anything from today's message, remember this, okay? God is more concerned about your faith than he is about your safety. Will you remember that? God is more concerned about your faith than he is your safety. We want God to protect us from tragedy, and we know that he can. And so we wonder why God lets us suffer sometimes through tragedy because it hurts so much. But the truth is God is more, much more concerned about your faith than your safety. And so here's, here's what I'm going to ask you to do. Because my hope is that the pain in your life turns you into the kind of person that is you are so trusting in God that you're willing to take big risks in your life. And, and so when you do, you will experience big rewards from God. He will visit you in power. He will do the impossible when you do that. And that's what having faith is for. So when you find yourself in a crisis, here's what God wants you to do. First of all, just trust Him. Trust Him. He is speaking to you in your pain. Are you listening? Okay? The second thing is to, to expect God to grow your faith through that time. You should just expect Him to grow your faith when you're going through a crisis. Because that's what it's there for. But here's a big one, Okay? When you're going through a crisis, when you're suffering, when you're going through pain, do not hide your pain from others. Please don't do that. Okay? Your light is given to you to shine when you're in a crisis. And some of you are going to say, you know, but I'm a private person. I'm a private person. I don't like sharing that kind of stuff with other people, especially people I don't know very well. But let me just remind you, your faith is not private and neither is your God. Not private. Not at all. God has written his name in the skies. His glory fills the whole earth. We do not worship a private God, and your faith is not private either. So why is your pain? Don't close yourself off. Don't guard yourself. Okay? That's, I don't think that's what God wants us to do. I, I believe he wants us to surround ourselves with people who can speak truth to us, but also with people who need truth. People who need to see what a person who has the life of Jesus Christ responds to pain, responds to suffering, responds to disappointment. That is when we are to let our light shine. That's when it shines the brightest. Would you pray with me? Our Father God, I thank you. I thank you for this uh, account of, of your power in the Gospel of John and, and how you raised a dead man to life. And why we should care. Because, because our faith is that important to you. And I pray, God, that you would make it that important to us. That we would continually invest in each other. 
that we would invest in your word, that we would invest in prayer, that we would invest in relationships and in service. But Lord, that when suffering comes our way, and we know that it will because you've promised that it will, that we would not stop believing in you and that you would use those times of pain, God, to to build us up and to make us strong and to make us more trusting and believing of you. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.